Now, now, how was the trip to? Do you spend a lot of time in AFC? Have you first time? First time ever? Yeah. Did yeah. you come the back way? Uh, no, we took the um highway. You took you took ninety four. Yeah. So it's away, right? Yeah. It's ninety six. You know, you you live any close to ninety six at all? Yeah. You can take ninety six until it turns into fourteen, mm. right? Past two seventy five. Okay. And when you go down 275, I mean, when you go to 14, turns into a two-lane highway. Well, four-lane highway is, you know, two lanes on both sides. And you get off on four road, right? And you go on a street called Prospect or a two-lane road called Prospect, and it is straight country. <laughs> when you go home, like, you can leave out of here the back way, and you can you can go to Prospect and take Prospect up to 90, back up to four road and four road back to 14, 14 turn 96. And it's just different. I would suggest that you try it. It's just a different ride. I'm serious. It's just a different ride. It's a different ride. It's a different vibe. I tell everybody to go that way. So, just, you know, I just want to say that. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Rob Wallace. This is the Zero Noise Podcast, where we engage in progressive discussions about music life and everything in between with our guests. This podcast is also brought to you by Grove Studios, the 24-7 artist and production workspace. Whether rehearsing for your next show, producing a new song, doing a podcast, or shooting a video, Grove Studios is set up for the independent creator. Right now, Grove is offering subscriptions that can help you get your project or next creation going in the right direction. To learn more, visit grovestudios.space. We are also brought to you by Leon Speakers, the number one choice in high-quality home audio here in Ann Arbor. This podcast is produced by Project Plugin and shared with all streaming platforms through Captivate. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you are hearing or seeing the podcast. So here's the deal, Troy. I listen to a lot of music. Not as much as I used to. Yeah. Because of all the different media we get, we have access to now. Right, right. But I still listen to music every day. New music, local music, Music from around the world. Art is not valuable if it doesn't challenge, if it does not ask, and if it does not respond. Right? Right. Music decorates time as art decorates space. I ask dope people to come and visit with me, talk about who they are, who they have been, and what they do. I also ask them to be ready to discuss an album that played a role in them becoming them. You will not hear the music we discuss. We will discuss for many reasons. Obviously, we can't do it. But you will never hear it the same afterwards. Therefore, this is a music podcast, but it is a people's podcast. And the person today is Troy Davis. Welcome, Troy Davis. Thank you. Thank you. We are also joined by, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I I have to ask, like, I, I, I want to ask you about, well, really ask both of you. Tony is not going to get on mic. She says she's not going to get on mic. <laughs> but there is no Troy without Tony. Correct. And that's amazing. We we also want to shout out DJ Wise one. He's here. DJ Wise one from Architect Entertainment, right? Right. Excellent. Which Architect Entertainment is one of the reasons that we're here today. Um, because Architect Entertainment is the imprint that Troy has developed. Um, and we want to make certain that we talk about how robust the offering, the, the service that Troy brings 
via that 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 imprint. But I couldn't pay my wife to be as involved as Tony is in in what you do. <laughs> so I have to ask before we go any further. So for those of you who don't know, Troy is well. Let me let me let's do this first. Who is Troy Davis? All right, I am a husband, co-owner of Architect Entertainment, and a producer that goes by the name The Davis Way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Who is, why The Davis Way? Um, well, the reason I chose that name, because when I first started making beats, mm-hmm. People would ask me, like, yo, can you make a beat like this person or that person? And I told them, I only make beats the Troy Davis way. Okay. So then I end up setting up, um, I think, a t- my Twitter account first. That was my first social media. And I had it as T Davis way. And then when I started making beats and saving them, I saved it as the Davis way. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And what, how would you categorize beats or production from the Davis way? Um, I'll probably say 80% cinematic hip hop. Cinematic hip hop. Yeah, cinematic hip hop. Hip hop that, okay. Cinematic meaning what? You can picture it in film. Okay. But it got that hip hop bop to it. Okay. So like picture John Williams. Okay. But you take John Williams and have a producer flip a John Williams beat. Okay. So it could be the score for Jaws, score for Star Wars, and so forth. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, let's talk about who were your influences when, let's talk about when you started making beats. But you know what? Even before we do that, let's kind of go further back than that. Like what? One thing that's interesting that that people come in and they share is what was the first time where you noticed music? Like mm. music decorates time. Music is always around us. But people who do what you do, they notice music in a different way when they're young, typically. When did you feel as though music was a pathway for you? Wow. Um, I had to be probably four or five years old. Um, Growing up, like on Sundays, it was like me, my uncles, my grandparents all stayed in one house. Mm -hmm. But on Sunday, depending on the room you're in, you're going to hear a different genre. So my mother may be playing Prince. My grandmother may be playing Kenny Rogers. My aunt may be playing um, Phil Collins. Mm -hmm. So this is like just going through the house saying, hey, can I play here? Can I play there? You're going to hear different genres all at the same time in the same day. Mm. So it's like for me as a producer, I try not to fit into one genre because you can't box music, in my opinion. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, what about when you like, like, what was the first piece of gear or software? Hmm. You know, at what point did this happen for you? Um, 
I probably was 19. Okay. Um, a friend of mine, he was um, making beats and rapping. And he was about to take his um, beat machine to the pawn shop. And I told him, I'll just buy it. What kind of beat machine was it? Uh, Dr. Boss, I believe. Ooh, shout out to Boss. All right. Shout out to Boss. And he was like, okay. So I came back, went back home, started working over during the winter, summer. Then he came back, was like, oh, you could keep the beat machine and see what you do with it. Now, at the time, I'm just making beats. I'm not thinking of no career, no series mm-hmm. of it, just beats after beats after beats and then um, probably maybe I'll probably say a year later two years later me and Tony got serious got together and she told me she wasn't going to be with nobody that does music why 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 did she say that she covering her face everybody I know this is audio she covering her face cause, cause that's so ironic that the, she would say all this but, but go ahead the previous person she was with Mm-hmm. was doing music okay and they was like buying whatever they was buying getting themselves in debt mm-hmm. not really having uh i'm not gonna say the talent but the passion okay of taking it serious but they having like say debt and just buying equipment but not really u- utilizing it the way it could be used okay mm. <laughs> So as as all producers experience, you started with this one piece of equipment mm-hmm. and you got better. Did you get, you know, did you um did you just continue to get better or did you when she told you that did you leave it by did you leave it alone? I left it alone. You left it alone. Yeah. And then okay, so when did you come back to it? Probably and how did she feel about it? No, I'm out. we'll get there. Go ahead. Probably 15 years later. Okay. Now, by this time, everything was digital. Right. So I had to relearn how to make beats. Right. Now, when I first started, I had, um, I think I was working with FL. I was okay. trying to go through FL, and there was just so much stuff to learn. And I was so used to just having the beat machine make the beats. If I have something I want to sample, sample that. Mm-hmm. But then when everything got digital, it's like, okay, I got to read all this work, all this manuals. And it's like, all right, I need something a little easier. So then I got comfortable with the MPC. Mm-hmm. And MPC took me back to where I was making beats before. But then I could do things digitally. And then I was able to incorporate things I learned before getting the process to really making beats the way I felt comfortable with. Mm. Pause. Can you close that door for me? I want to make sure I have you good. One, two, one, two, one, two. One, two. One, two, one, two. Go ahead. One, two. Okay. All right. Um, Let's see here. Just making sure. One, two, one, two, one, two. Okay. One, two. Okay. All right. Um, so 14 years later? 15. 15 years later. What 
what did you do before you came back to making beats? I, uh, let's see. Easiest way I could put it was a professional gambler. <laughs> yeah. See, now that's why we do this. Yeah. I need, nobody knows this about, don't, nobody knows this. No. Nobody ever asked you. Few people ask, but. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about it. It tell tell me what you want to tell me. Okay. Okay. So you were nineteen. No, twenty one. You were, but you met her at nineteen, right? Or you met her at seventeen. You met her at seventeen. Right. You was you were in high school. Yeah. What high school you go to? Northern. Shout out to Northern. Detroit. Northern not open no more, is it? Northern Detroit, no. Okay. Shout out to Northern. What was the mascot? Jayhawk. Northern Jayhawk. Shout out to Northern Jayhawk. What year did you graduate? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. So you graduate from high school. You get the beat machine, the beat machine go by the wayside. You can't mess with the beat machine because you got Tony. And then, okay, so 21, you became a professional gambler. Yeah. Or you started gambling. Professionally, yes. But playing spades, you know, you don't put $5, $10 on a game at a time. So still was gambling. Okay. And then? So one time at the casino... They had a, a giveaway. If you're sitting at a seat, somebody may walk by and say, you want a new iPad. No, iPod. Mm-hmm. I want an iPod. Had no computer. I'm like, okay, what well, am I going to do with this? So I ended up buying a computer so I could use the iPod. Once I got the music on, I'm like, all right, what else can I do with this? Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, oh, let me go back to making beats. Mm. So By this time She was like 50-50 with it Cause she seen How many people like Say okay I wanna be a producer Or Just put so much money Into it And not really Show nothing for it So I told her like Okay I'ma study the business Before releasing Any music I'ma make beats During the process But I'ma put in The time to get The paperwork straight Trademark my name So forth and a year afterwards, then I released something. Were you always adept at, I think I've asked you this before. Were you always adept at like finding something and learning everything there is to know about it? Yeah. Yeah. What else did you, well, professional, I mean, gambling probably, but yeah. is there anything else that you did that with? Before you started making music? Um, I think those probably was the two largest. Because with gambling, it wasn't much more so as far as gambling with cards. It was more so focused on slot machines. Okay. That was like 95% of the time I played slot machines. Because I understood between the three casinos in Detroit. Okay. Greektown pay out the best in slot machines. Because they haven't adjusted their chip in their slot machines like Motor City and MGM have. She over here smiling, so I know you ain't lying. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, so like when you watch the news and they say, okay, Greek Town done lost this much money, uh-huh. it's because they have to pay out that many people. Right. With MGM, they made the most because nobody's getting paid off slot machines. Mm-hmm. So once I understood as far as the, um, the chip ratio and understood that they have the same game functions that they have on the phone, it's like play the game on the phone, see how often you get the bonus on that game on the phone, go to that same slot machine. It may take a few more spins, about five to ten, 
but most likely you may get the bonus in between that time. So the odds and things, the games that are on your phone are the same games that are in, like people will play those games at home and then they will find the actual game in the casino and play it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought it was just computerized, just they just make them up. No, most most games on your phone are actual slot machine games. They're actual at the casino. Yeah. Ones that you can go and find. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And they all have different algorithms. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so for the layman, while we here, <laughs> so for the layman, I'm, you know, just regular smeggler. I don't go to the casino. Okay. Is there anything that I can do to increase the chances of me being successful at the casino? Um, I mean, at, at the slots? Yeah. Uh, break down how much you would want to make a day. If you win that amount at the casino, no matter how long you stayed there, it could be like five minutes, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you made $60 in that five, 10 minutes, get up, leave, go home. Whatever money you have extra, you might could go back the same day, possibly could do the same thing, may not. But then at least have a cutoff time when to say, okay, I'm leaving after this. Mm-hmm. Don't, Take it as like, oh, I ain't been out for a while. Let me stay here for some hours, then you lose. Mm. But if you could get whatever you feel like, I want to make this much a day if I was working, and you could do that in five, ten minutes, it makes sense to get up. Just don't think of the casino as a casino, but as like, take it serious as if it was a job. Now, how many people wouldn't mind working five, ten minutes and make $50, $60? So you never got addicted. Like you were able to keep it in perspective? I had moments. Okay. Like I had moments. If I knew it was something I really, really needed to do or want to do down the line, I'll mm-hmm. probably do a little extra, go there an extra amount of days. So like sometimes I'll probably go maybe four times out of the week. Like this was your job. This is what you did. Yeah. Wow. Because like if you get a card at the casino uh-huh. after you play, they'll give you free money to come back. Okay. So at this one time, I was getting probably about $370 worth of free money to play a week. So I was going to play every week, one day. They was giving you $370. You couldn't walk out with that $370. I couldn't walk out. I have to play. You have to play it. Yeah. Okay. So I'll pick a slot machine. I know that paid off the best. Okay. From that slot machine, I played, I played. Then when the money ran out, the free money they gave me, I was like, all right, Tony, you could take a year off work. Wow. Focus on being an author. Study everything to release your books. Once you release your first book, a year later, I will release my first project. Okay. Wow. You really had this mastermind. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I planned it out pretty good. But that's who you are, though. You Are you a planner? Like, yeah. Are, yeah, yeah. I don't even want to say in comparison to your spouse, but are you, like, you have one of your albums. I could have swore that there was something involving, uh, like, chess. But maybe I'm tripping. Oh, I did release a single um, in 2017 called Pawn in a Chess Game. So, as a... As, you always have strategy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amaz- That's an amazing story. That's an amazing story. So you never became a professional gambler. I mean, you you were a professional gambler 
and actually gambled four days and you actually had time to take off like you didn't have to gamble on saturday right to to live it was, wow it was weekdays just weekdays weekdays paid off better because the more people there the harder the chances are to get a bonus depending on if it's a group machine because sometimes they'll have slot machines if it's the same machine mm-hmm. five in a row the odds are better if they link the jackpots because certain ones they'll have where everybody could benefit off that jackpot but then certain games the more people play it they may get the bonus before you get a chance to play and possibly can get it or the free spins or whatever it is mm-hmm. so if you go in the morning so like for me I used to go to each casino on probably Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll go to the three here and the one in Canada. Mm-hmm. Come back, have whatever I made that day, put it in the bank. Stack it. Yeah, just put it in the bank. Because as soon as I get back across the border, I go straight to the bank. Wow. I've never met anybody that did. <laughs> never in life. Wow. Yeah. So... You gambling, you get this computer, you put the software on this computer, you start making beats again, right? Yeah. When did you know? Um, like we talked about how y'all start making, she was an author before you were a beat maker. Is that yeah. correct? Uh, obviously. But how did you know that this was something that felt good to you? And um. It was, I could say, actually, I know the exact date. January 6th, uh, me and Tony went No to shout the- out to January 6th. But January, we're going to celebrate January 6th for what you're about to tell us, but yeah. not for the other reason. Right, right, right. <laughs> Go ahead. So, it was me and Tony's anniversary. Okay, that's your anniversary? Yeah, we got married on January 6th. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, when we woke up that morning, it was <laughs> mad. Wow. So... A uh, friend we went to high school with, Ty Ferris. Ty Fer- shout out, shout out to Ty Ferris. Ty Ferris is my favorite rapper in Detroit. Mm. It, him and Elzai. Okay, my favorite rapper in. De- I buy all his stuff. Every time I see him, shout out to Ty Ferris. Much love. So I'm, I'm sorry. like, hey Tony, you know, remember Ty? We went to high school with. Like you hear rapper. Mm. So that's how we know. Now he's been doing this for years. Yes, now, we had no clue. Yes. So it's like, all right, we we go there, see him perform live on stage, and. I got outside of the back of Old Miami, just played some beats to some other producers, and they was enjoying the beats. So while they were talking about the beats, I was talking to them about business, the music business. Mm-hmm. And they was telling me as far as different places to go for beat battles and showcases, and I never heard of beat battles before. So the first beat battle I went to was uh, March Madness mm-hmm. with Uncle P. Mm-hmm. That was my first time meeting Uncle P. At the Grasshopper? No. That was the first one I participated. At the Bullfrog? Yeah, it was a Bullfrog. It was the first, Bullfrog. It was the first one he had the first belt for. And that was, let me see. I was there. I'm I'm certain that I was there. Chris Wells was in it. Mm-hmm. Was Genius in it? Yep. Uh, 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 Kevin J was in it. Yep. Um... Uh, Ray West Horatio was he in it I think so absolutely yeah that was the first one and then when I got home and I woke Tony up it was mm-hmm. like 2 in the morning 2 3 
two between two three in the morning, mm-hmm. and she had to be woken up like at six for work. Yes, sir. So I was having a full conversation with her while she was dead asleep, and I was like, I witnessed something that changed my whole mind of how I want to go into music. Mm-hmm. So during this time, I had a beat tape out, but then I decided to strategize of what I want to do and what goals I want to reach in a certain amount of time. And I knew one thing that a lot of producers was lacking was the business Mm. of understanding their worth and how much they could get back, even off of the low rates for streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. So every beat battle I went to, every showcase I went to, I talked to every producer, say, okay, you could get this, you could get this. This is a licensed place. If you play a beat here and your beat is registered, you could get paid for this beat before you even send it out to an artist. And some of them took it, some of them didn't. But I didn't feel like, okay, that would be enough to make me stop telling people and mm-hmm. educating them on that. So you... You brought value to every relationship. Yeah. Um, That's one thing I learned about is how do you, you know, above and beyond what we here to talk about or what we here to do, do you bring value to the relationships that you have? And do you think that you are, do you think that you are better as a businessman or as a beat maker? I'll probably say businessman at this point. Okay. Because my, my focus is more so on helping artists as a broad compared to having that same passion of making beats like before. Because the knowing how the um, money is in the business of music, mm-hmm. so many people are missing opportunities by just not registering it. Like you get the different so, so-called gatekeepers to let you in the door. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the paperwork... Or you just is going to be a name on a flyer. But you can't look five years, ten years down the line, a song you did before you sold out all the physicals, but you're still getting played from it. Mm. Yes. And that's what a lot of producers and artists miss out on. So a lot of times I'll try to, you know, talk to them over the phone or tell them at an event if I can how to register they work properly, how to copyright, trademark, so forth. So when they do get an opportunity where it could be a mainstream underground label or a major label may approach them and they mm-hmm. know what would be a good deal and not a good deal. Or if a label come and say, we'll cover the publishing and pay you out a percentage of publishing instead of them having their own. I hear I hear so many different things like one I work with kids who want to be rappers and I tell them all the time like okay you see the Drake's the J Cole's the Kendrick Lamar's is 7 billion people on the planet so right you know you have them and you view them as being here when in actuality there are people who are paying them right as well but also you have that artist but you have an entire infrastructure and network around that artist to put that artist in your face and to ensure that the 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 we know that symbols of wealth mean something in hip hop, but yeah. in terms of what that artist is actually putting in their pocket, there are individuals who make sure that that happens, right? right? But 
also, so so the conversation becomes, what else do you bring to the table that can be of value to you and of value to the people who deal with you? And that's exactly what you're talking about because you, there are more rappers in, let's just talk about Detroit. There are more rappers in Detroit than there are Troy Davises. Yeah. You know, you are unique in that you go to your peers. Yeah. And I guess what some people would even consider to be your competitors yeah. in a way. Yeah. If, if, if it comes to a beat battle, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Your, your contemporaries and say, you know, my beats are cool. But also, did you know A, B, C, right. and D? Right. So the question becomes, why? Like, why is that? I think I know the answer to this. But why is that an issue? Like, why is that something that you even spend your time doing? I guess for me, it's so many producers that want to be dope producers. But I feel like being a dope producer is cool, but it's better to be an important producer. Ooh. Yes. Go so, ahead. I'm <laughs> preach. Go ahead. So Go like, ahead. So like I know I could offer beats like other producers could offer beats, but I'm gonna give you knowledge with these beats. Mm. I'm gonna show you how to get your publishing, your mechanical royalties, understand how to copyright both parts of your songs, not just say, okay. You just wrote it's copywritten, like an actual copyright government seal delivered to your house. Copyright, not just, oh, it's on my flash drive, it's on my PC, it got the date on it, I'm good. Or do the whole poor man's copyright to mail it out and get it back to yourself. But, That's what I was going to ask you. Do you have a method towards copyright and that still gets you that seal and everything, but it's cost effective? Well, um, for each project or beat submission I do, it's 20 beats per file. Okay. So, and it's $65 just to copyright 20 beats. Okay. Yeah. Y'all need to holler at Troy Davis. <laughs> man. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So, Lord have mercy. Like, like I was saying before, it's just a lot of producers, they just want to be the next dope one. But it's like, like with the knowledge I give, I want people to, to spread that knowledge. I know I'm not going to be able to reach everybody who needs, who needs it or needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'll work with artists that could be in their mid-30s, mid-40s, mm-hmm. and missed out on tons of money. Shout out to mid-40s. And, Go ahead. And, it trend, and it's like when the music world transitioned from physical to digital, mm-hmm. a lot of those artists get upset, and it's like the same stories I used to hear watching Unsung. Yeah. Fire yeah. Beats. Right. Temptations. Right. Uh, Cadillac Records, uh, every narrative about black musicians of all in every movie. And I remember once I knew I could make a difference that way. Mm. It's like, okay, I can make beats. Everybody in the world can hear my beats, but it's like this knowledge in in our community is not being spread far enough. Mm. And I felt like it just had to be dropped like a ripple effect in a pond. And spread that way. So that is your presence from an outsider. Mm-hmm. And I say this, I'm going to say this with the following disclaimer. I've never claimed that I was from Detroit. I've worked in Detroit. I worked in Detroit for 12 years. I lived in Westland. I lived in Southfield. I lived in Farmington Hills. 
I have never claimed that I was from Detroit. I've always been the guy from Flint. But I was teaching when people was rapping. But I was also recording music and making beats, right? Right. So I've always kind of watched Detroit from a bit of a distance. I dip and dab in the scene, mm-hmm. but I listen to everybody's music. Yeah. And I share everybody's music. Cause I be busy. I don't I don't really have a time. Like, you know, and I got a family, I got a small, right. you know, young kids and everything. So you are from the outside looking in, you everywhere. You you're two, three times a week, two, you know, four or five times a month at least, or at least strategically. You I view you as being a conduit. To everybody in Detroit of substance who making music. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. It's it's like it's many circles to Detroit hip hop. Absolutely. And some of these circles don't get along. Some of them may clash, but some of them may not even know each other. And I learned mm-hmm. that early on from going between old Miami events and the Bullfrog events. Mm-hmm where certain artists didn't know each other, but they both had dope music. So when I start doing my own project with features, I'll go into all these circles and pick different artists I may want and put them on one project where a lot of them don't know each other or they're hearing each other's music for the first time or get introduced to their style or their cadence the first time. Mm. And that's how I, how majority of the time I do feature projects mm-hmm. but I get various MCs or singers on there who do you work with every time like you work with is it Chris Cronus um, it's between Chris Cronus um, and engineering and Tone Rizzo Tone Rizzo shout out to Tone Rizzo shout out to Chris Cronus I learned about them from listening to your music from following you okay why what's your like what's your relationship like with them um well I met Chris Cronus through Super MC Shout out to Super MC. And I was working on this, um, my project Visionary, and we mm-hmm. were recording the song Earn It, and that's the engineer that Super MC normally runs with. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. With Chris, I was working with Valid. Okay. Shout out to Valid. So Valid took me to Tone. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Valid took me to Tone, and it was like the energy and their professionalism was the same mm-hmm. but the style was slightly different mm-hmm. so it's like with a lot of my projects I'll work with both of them on the mixing and the mastering mm-hmm. and depending on what type of physical release I have I'll have that one engineer handle the sound for the physical mm-hmm. Okay. So, but those mostly are the two main engineers I run with. Okay. Um, how much of the mixing, like I'm, you said that you're involved, but how comfortable are you mixing? It's a lot of producers that hate mixing. It's a lot of engineers that can't produce. I can mix my beats, but as soon as lyrics are on my beats, that's when I got to hand it off to somebody it else. Okay. Makes sense. So... You, you create this skill set. You create this identity. You know, 
B battles come and go, you know, and you are active and you are engaging with people. And I'm going to ask you to give me one word to describe some of your projects. Okay. So let's start with long awaited. Hmm. What one word comes to mind when you think about that project? Resume. Mm. Why? When initially I wanted to release music, I only was going to do one project. And I wanted the different type of um, production styles to be all within that project. So when I released it, it got, like say, a lot of um, play in Australia. Mm-hmm. That was like the first place. And then it trickled back to Detroit from doing the beat battles and showcases. Mm. But most of it started off overseas. And then Cronus Magnus was the first compilation that you did, right? Yes. What about that? What, was, what one word comes to mind for that? <sighs> hmm. um, I'll probably say demo. Mm. Yeah, I'll probably say demo. Why? I guess because I know if I was fully comfortable with the work of working with various artists that never knew each other. Mm. Some of them haven't worked with each other. And see how it resonates with my supporters. Because mm. those artists had their own fan base, their own followers, but their followers are listening to my production over their beat. And I was paying attention as far as how could my supporters blend in to be those artist supporters as well as those artist supporters blend in to be my supporters. Mm-hmm. And then we all just work together on supporting the project. Eclipse. Um, you know, my another one of my favorite MCs in Detroit is P-Dot. Yeah, yeah. P-Dot has just blossomed in front of all of us. What about Eclipse? Well, Eclipse for me, the one word is Eclipse. Because I felt like that project was going to eclipse everything I did before. Mm. Okay. So it's like very few people may mention my projects before Eclipse. Like hardly anybody mentioned Long Awaited. Mm-hmm. They really had to do like say the research. The research. Said right. Right. But when they say they first got introduced to me, it was off of Eclipse. Why did you put out one thing I saw you do? Because see, I be paying attention. <laughs> I be quiet, but I pay attention. And I talk about what I like. Then you put out the instrumentals to Visionary before you put out the actual album? Yes. But you did that also with Eclipse, didn't you? Did you do that with Eclipse? Yes. Why do you do that? Um, With those specific two projects. She laughing because she know I be paying attention. <laughs> See, that's why she yeah. laughing. It's like, what? <laughs> um, well, with Eclipse, I knew... It was catering towards my producer family. All the producers out there who don't really get a chance to really put projects out. Right. A lot of them do it now, but at the time, it was like, nah, I don't trust my beats being out there and so forth. So I'm like, it could work. Then you could get figured. And it's like, um, I guess it gives people a preview of what the album's going to be. Right. But it's not a single. It's not a... You know, it's not a video. It's, you know, that's a different way to go about it. It's almost like the trailer. Right. Of the album. So it's like you hear the beats, 
But what do these MCs going to sound like over these beats? That's a different curiosity right there. Like, I, I, I like that. Cause like, like, like you mentioned, you knew Pure Product, the instrumental. But then it's like, okay, what do Ty's Ferris sound like over this beat? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Soup. When Ernest came out the instrumental, people was like, oh, I love the instrumental. But then it's like when a project came out 12 days later and they heard Soup over it, it's like, whoa. Then they'll hit me up like, yo, how did you get him on there to just not cuss? <laughs> and I'm wow. like, wow, that's true. Yeah. And I'm like, nobody on that album cuss. Right. Right. And, and that was like part of my planning for the project where a lot of people was telling me like, oh, well, you can't really release a hip hop album with Detroit artists on it and it'd be all clean lyrics, especially artists on that level. It's people that actually said that to you? Yeah. <sighs> okay, sorry. And it was like, and think of certain artists I did ask to be on it, they passed on it because they feel like it wasn't going to really mm-hmm. make, you know, moves with it. Mm-hmm. So when I had Mr. Furious, Joseph Coney, and I told them I was going to end it with a pop song. Yeah. And it's like, what? So when they saw the track list, it's like, okay, you're going to end it this way. When the song came out, I seen those same MCs singing that song. And it was the funniest thing ever. Cause like, you know, you got these grown 35, 40 year old mans mm-hmm. trying to get these high notes. <laughs> they voice is deep. And it's like, yo, that's my favorite song off the project. Even though I'm on it, that's my favorite song off the project. It's amazing. That's validation too. Yeah. You know? So you have these visions about things before you get in, you even start. Yeah. Is what I see. So Tell me what happened with, like, why did you decide to do The Soul Within? Um, Originally, um, I wanted to help my wife with promoting her novel. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, would you be okay if I did a soundtrack to your book? Her reply was, sure. So I took time step away from my, um, I guess, the hip-hop part of the cinematic hip-hop and just mm-hmm. focus on cinematic. And after she heard it and felt like it, each song fit each chapter in the book perfectly. And a lot of people who knew me from beat battles was like, man, I didn't know you was making this. Yeah. Because they knew the aggressive beats I had for beat battles. They knew the music I had for showcases. But to make something where there's no drums in it, there's no low register bass lines in it. Score. Yeah, it's basically like a score for yeah. her book. And people was like, well, I never heard of a soundtrack for a book before. I was like, well, I guess I'm out of the first one. What's your favorite book that she wrote? Favorite book. You've read all her books? No. Okay. My, my favorite one is his road, his road to the Dog. That's the one I got. Yeah, that's my favorite. I, I, I got it right here. <laughs> yep. The okay. reason, the reason because to watch the process of her make it. What is that process? Man, okay. 
First, she need her alone time. I ask good questions, don't I? See? <laughs> See? Right. So, first, she need her alone time. And alone time is not like a whole, like, don't talk to me because I'm writing type thing. But it's like to gather her whole ideas and put them into paragraph form. To see her spend early mornings jotting mm-hmm. down ideas she had while she was dreaming or thought she wanted to get out before she went to sleep and just take notes real quick. And then to see her go back and take like probably five sentence worth of notes and turn it to five or six paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Now her process is a lot easier now, but to watch the beginning of that is like watching that scene in a hip hop movie when they make their first song. Mm-hmm. It's that feeling. Wow. Wow. So I'm gonna get you in trouble. So seeing what she does, I don't want to say is it easier, but you obviously learn something from her process to create music. Like, do you have that same paradigm about starting with an idea and then just kind of fleshing it out from there? Like that same little Um, bully? Nah, it's like a hit and miss type thing for me. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah, like if I'm working with an artist uh-huh. and I know how that artist performs on stage, I'll make a beat off of the way they perform. Okay. But if it's for me, I'm just capturing the sounds of a moment. Mm. So like if I think about myself waiting to catch the bus to go to Wayne State, I'll make a beat that will be playing Behind the scenes, if somebody was filming me catch a bus to Wayne State. So, like, visual, you capture music through what you see, in a way. Basically. Or, okay. Like, sometimes I can have a conversation with somebody and, like, a melody will play in my head while I'm talking to them. Mm-hmm. And if they are artists and they say, yo, I need a beat, I would try to think back to the conversation we had and their mannerisms and their tone. And then I would basically mirror that beat off of their personality because like I remember um, most recently Super, uh, Super MC told me like yo don't say you're a producer no more tell people you're a music translator because mm. we um, I was working with him on his project he got coming up and he'll hit me up probably 10 o'clock at night 10 in the morning and he'll give me an idea and probably maybe a day or two, I'll give him a beat based off that idea. Then he'll call me right back, just shouting like, yo, that's it. No sample, no. It, it depends on the beat. Like, okay. like it depends on what he tell me mm-hmm. and what I could do off of knowing him. So if I know you, the beats you'll get will come a lot quicker than if I'm not familiar with you. Mm. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's a different perspective. Like you capture, you really are capturing mo- not only moments, but you're capturing attitudes. You're capturing mm-hmm. emotions. Yeah. It's, it's, and for me, it's like, I go to a lot of shows. Mm. So a lot of times I know the artists before they know me. So if I pay mm-hmm. attention to their stage performance, the, the energy of the beat will match that performance. Like you would know what kind of make to what kind of beat to make for, let's say Corona, or 
yeah. you know, you would know what fit them. So I'm curious about this. How did you know what kind of beat to make for Uncle P? Mm. Um, it's funny. When you, you got to tell that story. Okay, I'm curious okay. how that happened. So it was the last March Madness beat battle at the Grasshopper. I think you were standing next to me at the time. Okay. Um, Uncle P was packing stuff up. He's like, yo, let me get your next project. Now I'm thinking, you know, he might want to do a spoken word piece. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. I saw him down the line. He was like, um, no, I, w- I want to rap. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I-, I used to rap. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, all right. So I sent him some beats. Mm-hmm. And he was like, um, like something. He was like, something more where it'll catch people off guard. I'm like, all right. Mm-hmm. So I thought about the different moments at his events. Cause like if you go to an Uncle P event, he'll, everything will be professional, but it'll be that time you'll see his other side, like the last five minutes, where he'll play whatever music he like playing, just to get the crowd going. Just that for DJ of being a DJ, right? I'm like, all right. So it's like that fun energy. So I'm like, all right. So I sent him a beat, and he gave me the idea of it and the concept of it. I'm like, okay, that worked. And then he told me the song title he had suggested for it to see if it worked. I'm like, yeah, that'll be perfect. He's like, you sure? Like, it's your project. Like, because I told him everybody who was going to be on it. It's like, you got a lot of heavy hitters. I just want to do something a little different. So when it came out and people heard it, actually, when they saw his name on it, it's like, okay, Uncle P on some music? Like, what is he doing on here? Like, you just got to wait for the album to drop. So when they heard, it's like, oh, he rapping. Like, he rapping, rapping. Because, like, even in the studio session, he came, he had his notebook, book of rhymes, went in the booth. Came to put it down. Yeah. One take. Wow. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about Architect. Let's talk about some of the pieces to Architect. Um, You know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I can't, I, I don't, we don't have enough time. What I'm realizing, cause we went through all of that. I don't think we have enough time to really dig into, you're going to have to come back and talk about the process. There is a process through which you kind of put music to make certain that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Yeah. And that is a process that is again there's a lot of rappers it's not a lot of Troy Troy Davis it's only one Troy Davis you there are people like you you know I I look at you I look at Theo Ellis I look at Brandon Scarber as being essential they are an essential piece to whatever rap war producer is going to move to the next tier because that infrastructure I, I, I always use that word you gotta have an infrastructure you gotta have an attorney you gotta have you know man, competent management management that can move across demographics though right like you just can't 
it's one thing to be a manager out here. It's another thing to be a manager on Finkel and Meyer. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, a person who knows how to maximize the intellectual property is an essential element now because of how deals have changed. Yeah. Can you talk just a little bit about... Can you talk just a little bit about how... Like, what is the... Uh, let's say you have an artist. Let's say you have an artist that is getting a little bit of a buzz. Let's say that, you know, they may have, you know, developed a certain amount of followers. And, you know what I'm saying? Because we know that that's currency now. Mm -hmm. You have a certain amount of followers. You know, you got, you know, some hot records that's in the city or whatever. And they become regional. And it's that and a third. And you get approached by maybe not a multinational, but a national label or something that's trying to do something with you. What kind of a deal would you advise for them to get involved in? Um, as far as advising a deal. Are you comfortable advising the You said that earlier. Well, well, advising deals is different because it's like I'll rather set the basics of what an artist needs okay. and let them make their own decision off of what they have learned. Okay. But I'm not going to say, okay, what I would do. Okay. Fair enough. But if at at this level, any artist's need is basically it's that push, that marketing push. Mm -hmm. the, the money could be there if you get investors. And a lot of artists don't understand as far as how to get investors, how to have people to believe in your music and are willing to put up money for it. And how to keep investors. Right. So I'll, I'll tell our artists, mm -hmm. first figure out if you want physicals with your release. If you get a physicals, use the royalties for the physicals, set those aside to whatever you need largely because that's that money that's going to come up front. Set up your mechanical royalties. Set When your mechanical royalties come, put that into a savings account. When you get your recording royalties... You can have fun with your recording royalties. When you get your publishing, put your publishing into a business account. And when you get your writings, use your writing royalties, invest that into a stock with a high dividends. Then that way you have these various royalties coming in every month and mm. your money will be working for you. And you could cut a Sounds lot of good. stuff out. That's a great plan. Yeah. That's a great plan. I need one of them varsity jackets with architect entertainment <laughs> stitched in the back. So when I step in, you know, my next project coming out on architect entertainment is called social studies or something. I don't know what I'm going to call it, but man, that's, that's a great plan because of, and it's, it's evidence of learning and the fact that you are strategic. This is, we hear all the time about the athletes that went broke. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, that, and the third. And it's like, you kind of have it kind of, that's what I'm saying. Like, you run things through a process. Right. Now, tell me about your relationship with Leaf. You know, what does Leaf do? Um, and why is Leaf in the position that he's in with you? Well, Leaf, um, what's funny? Leaf is the a and mm -hmm. of architect entertainment. The process of us getting artists me, Tony, and Leaf have to all agree on the artists that we bring to Architect. 
and there's a contract involved and all of us, including the artist or their manager or representative has to sign it mm-hmm. before they're officially on there. Okay. Um, Shout out to Leif Erickson. Leif, one of my favorite people. Leif handle as far as the process of making sure the artists are comfortable with the process of their projects. Tell, comfortable with the creation of it? Yes. Oh, okay. Because like, you know, a lot of times when artists have work on their projects, it's so much stuff going behind the scene, personal stuff that people on social media don't know about. Mm-hmm. They keep to themselves. So it's it's just that phone call. Absolutely. Just to check how you how you doing personally first. If you're cool, then like say me or him might hit you back up later on in the week. It's like, okay, how's the project going? And if they have any hiccups, we'll try to maneuver through the hiccups. If they have like, oh, I wish I could find a singer for this song, but I don't know enough people, then we'll go through, see who will be available mm. to get to that studio and won't charge your arm and leg to do vocal work okay. on the project. Okay. Wow. That's an A&R's role. Yeah. That's the job. Not to, you know... Be in all the videos, or <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's the that's the job description, right? And so, you know, how do you think? As far as I think, in our conversation before we even got to this place, we talked about how infrastructure creators or people who provide that infrastructure are almost like becoming like an outsource versus a label per se, right? So people can come in with you; they can bring a project to the table. There's a certain amount of infrastructure that Architect Entertainment will handle for that for some type of agreement with regards to royalties or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then you're free to do whatever else you do with whatever else you create. Is that, am I, am I accurate in that? Right. Because we want our artists to have their own independence. So we don't own copyrights of the music. We don't own the masters. Mm -hmm. We get like say a percentage of the mechanicals, a percentage of the publishing they get 100% of their royalties. If we are approached with a sync licensing opportunity, whatever amount of money they get from the sync licensing opportunity, 100% of that is theirs. That's perfect. So if they end up getting $5,000 up front, that whole 5000 is theirs. So we talk about democratizing music, like freeing it from the constraints of the system. Right. And that's kind of what you're doing. Yeah. You know, that is what you're doing. Um what is the like what is the end game then for architect? Um I don't really see an end game for it cuz okay. we're always growing. Like so it's just scaling. Yeah. Okay. Like this this is still the early stages. Like I know I've said a lot, but this still is the early stages. Mm-hmm. This is the basics that I want the artists to understand. Mm-hmm. Then I want them to have the passion to want to learn. Like I say like when I was speaking about the stock the passion of learning what's going on in the stock market to know to invest in a stock so like for instance now Amazon and Google their stock shares are splitting this year 20 to 1 mm-hmm. Google right now I believe is at somewhere around $3,000 a share Amazon right now is about 2600 if an artist does have that money saved up and basically buy those two by the time the shares happen they'll have 40 stocks shares total that money will grow back up 
and make it back to where it was at. It's almost like when Tesla split in 2020. Mm-hmm. It was all at $1,300. They split. They're already back up to 1000 Actually, they went down a little bit today, but still we're still around 1000 So if you end up having five shares of Tesla in, you got $5,000 now off that one original share you bought, $4,000. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want our artists to understand that it's more out here than just making the shirts, making the vinyls, making the CDs. If you get a stock with a dividend, that dividend may pay monthly, it may pay quarterly, it may pay annually. At least that's extra money you can get mm-hmm. without worrying about it. Like you can sleep and know, okay, even if the stock went down today, I know I'm getting my dividends this month. Okay. And like I say, with the stock shares, they vary. Like some stocks um, might be $8 a share with a 14% annual dividends. So it's. It's not just intellectual property. It's not just merchandising. It's right. not just marketing. It's not even just intellectual property. It's like literal investment strategy. Right. And every situation is different for every person. But again, you have a method. Right. The, you have the Davis way. Yeah. You know, you have the way. <laughs> um, yep, you can open that back up. If You can just leave it cracked. Wow. Just a couple of questions about Detroit. Um, who's the best DJ in, in Detroit? Best DJ. And best DJ not saying, like, if your name don't get mentioned, that you need to be mad at Troy. Um, who's the best DJ in Detroit? See, my first answer is going to be the best DJ is the one spinning music that's produced by the Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Um, Man. Like, every DJ has their own style. Right. And their own genre. You have the turntablers to actually, you know, play vinyl. Who is your favorite DJ? Favorite. It rotates. Wow. Because, okay. like, like, I could listen to DJ Los. Absolutely. Shout out to DJ Los. DJ Los, as a DJ as well as a producer, mm-hmm. is, is like to be in a game this long and still have a love and passion for it mm-hmm. is what I love. Wow. Um, then it's um, let's see, DJ Wise one for he was like, I know you're gonna mention my name. Yeah. <laughs> with with me knowing him personally uh-huh. and knowing what everything he's been through and is doing now is inspiring. Okay, it makes me more aware of people. And their abilities. Because, like I say, for, like I say, when I first met him, we was chilling at um, the Vision Gallery. Mm-hmm. I played a beat. He listened to the beat. He said, there's not something like nothing out of Detroit. And, like, literally two years later, he started playing me some of his beats. And mm-hmm. he was making beats. I'm like, okay, it's dope. Like, if I start something up, would you want to be on it? It was like, sure. But then I went to one of his events mm-hmm. and listened to him DJ for an artist. And it was like, oh, you're serious, DJ. You know, sometimes people buy the DJ equipment and just hit the buttons and go about their day at the ven- venue and stuff. Because, like, man, there was one event I went to and the guy 
played the song. Instead of blending the song, he just decided to roll his weed up. Mm-hmm. So the promoter had to get on the timetables and hit the crossfader to go to the next song. Mm-hmm. So I knew at that point, everybody cannot use the term DJ. True. So you got, like say, the turntablist, that's been the vinyl. Then you got the DJs for the radio station that actually DJ at events periodically. Right. Um, but let's see, favorites. It just depends on the genre I'm looking for to listen to. Okay. Okay. What's the best Coney in Detroit? Best Coney. I probably have to say the one by our house. Um <sighs> Grandy's. Okay. You on the west side? East. East side? Yeah. Where about? By Northern. Northern High School. Okay. Not obviously. On the north, yeah. Northern, yeah. obviously. Okay. Because, man, we we leave hip-hop events, it's right off the freeway. Right. Like, I know you'll get downtown. Downtown be super crowded. Yeah. Get to Grandy's. And it was at a certain point where they was already fans of my wife novels. Okay. So, they'll hook us up. Okay. So, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. What street got the worst? Where are the worst potholes in Detroit? Oh, sh- right now. Uh, right now. Um. Woo! Yeah. And we can say Metro Detroit, too. Yeah. Mild scandalous. Yeah. Mild always been scandalous. Absolutely. Like I said, but... I've been down here. Don't get me wrong. I've been down here longer than I've been anywhere else. You know, I've been in the area longer than I've been at than I was in Flint. But yeah, my own scandalous and and always been scandalous. Who has last question before we start talking about what you're about to do? Who has the best basement to make music in the Detroit rap scene? Hmm. Of all the people who you've worked with and been in their basement to to work on music. I'd probably say Chris Cronus. Okay. Because Chris is like, he has the digital equipment, but he actually buy the physical analogs. Okay. So he'll educate me on how the analogs work. Mm-hmm. So for instance, uh, last week, I got my upcoming projects put on reel-to-reels. The old school reel-to-reels, mm-hmm. right? So he got to put them on there. And he was breaking it down as far as the process and the history of him and it's like to see how he got all this stuff set up it's it's different than other basements because like a lot of times you know people want to just have hang out mm. but at his spot you can hang out but had a professionalism too okay cool shout out to Chris Cronus hopefully one of these days I can come and holler at you um now you got a project that's about to come out yeah what's the what's the date What's the title? What's yeah. the focus? All right. I know you done masterminded all yeah. of it like yeah. five steps ahead. All right. The project is called Way of the Davis. Wow. Why? This is my actual five year of being on the music scene on this level. Okay. Um, the project is an instrumental project and I wanted it to be like... Um, how can I put it? Um, I guess almost like a thank you 
to mm. everybody that supported me. So it's like with this, I got a few beats that was fan favorites mm-hmm. from beat battles or showcases, plus original music. This is instrumental or it's a compilation? Instrumental. Instrumental. Okay. Um, I got an event to celebrate the release of it on May 14th. Okay. It's going to be at Trixie's Bar in Hamtramck. Um, and this event, I want it to be an annual event called Power of the Producers. Okay. So every year, we're going to have five producers come in at various... We're going to have probably change the location every year. Okay. And they play their beat set. And I'm going to make sure it's at a licensed venue so they could get paid for their beat set. Okay. Um... I got cassettes coming in for the Way of the Davis Project. I got an email today, actually, that it's been shipped. Okay. So they probably should come sometime, maybe next week or the week after. Dope. 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 On all streaming platforms. Oh, yeah. It's going to be released digitally, too. You ever do, do you ever do, like, Bandcamp, too? Um, I did Bandcamp with Visionary. Uh-huh. It wasn't exclusively on Visionary, but it was on there. Well, it's not exclusively on Bandcamp, but mm-hmm. it was um, it was on there, but it was like... Like, are you averse to Bandcamp? Not really. It's just my only problem with Bandcamp is that artists, they don't have splits. So it's okay. like, I'll have to pay the artists their percentage compared to them naturally getting their own percentage just out. It, just getting natural. Yeah. yeah. Just one less step. Okay. That makes sense. As far as the sales of your physicals, how do you facilitate that? Is that through... A website, I'm getting nothing but game here. Uh, is that through a website or is that through, how do you go about that? Um, well, for the vinyl, I went to Archers. Okay. On Davidson. So, but is it hand-to-hand and yes. that's it? It's, you don't do it online at all? Nope. Is there a reason why you don't do that? Um, That's just their standard. Okay. They don't have a website set up for online purchases. Okay. You go in their office, talk to the, the owner. Okay. Like Archer, face-to-face. <laughs> okay. And he'll tell you how much everything would be. He'll ask you specifically what do you want with your vinyl, if you want it to be colored or just solid black, if you want it to be double-layered and so forth. Plus, they also give you the um, the master pressings okay. of your vinyl as well. Okay. And a lot of overseas companies don't really let you get your masters. Oh, keep it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can go to Archers and I can tell them I know Troy Davis, and they give me the Troy. They yeah. give me the Davis discount, the Davis way. I, I don't know if it'd be a Davis discount, but it's like, oh yeah, we we work with. We Troy. know what they yeah. know what I what to do. I just be like, just do it like him. Okay, so the album that you chose to talk about was Illmatic, yeah. and I knew that this was gonna happen at some point. <laughs> so just to give you a little, you know, I started doing this podcast last year and I did 17 episodes. I just did, you know, um, episodes when I had the opportunity. I talked to, you know, people who are here in the community. I talked to people who are in music, so on and so forth. And what I always tell them is I want you to pick an album that means something to you, but it doesn't have to be an album that means something to everybody. Right. right? I've had people come here. Buff One came in and talked about Witch Doctor's first album. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about the first Farside album with uh, uh, Elliot Gann from Oakland. We've talked about all these different projects, and none of them are like, well, Brandon came in here, and he talked about Ready to Die. Yeah. 
But nobody, I encourage people to find albums that are not albums that everybody talk about. Illmatic, Illmatic is one of those albums. Why is, now that Illmatic is 28 years old, mm-hmm. what, first of all, why did you choose it? Um, Illmatic as an album, I can honestly say was like the blueprint for my feature projects. Okay. So the same way where you have various producers and one MC, I just flipped it with one producer, various MCs. Uh And it wasn't like MCs that I just knew or grew up with. It was like to get top-tier MCs, just like how he had the top-tier producers at that time. And... To see the amazement of people say, how did you do this with you only being on the music scene for not even a decade? Because mm-hmm. I say, most of the artists I have on my projects has been doing this 15, 20 years, some 25 years. Absolutely. And at the time, I probably was around maybe two years on the music scene. And like I say, it started with, with that model with Eclipse. So I have to ask you, you know, it came out April 19th, 1994. So we're talking about springtime, 1994. What were you doing? <sighs> okay. At that time, um, it was my last, My I think I was in middle school. Seventh grader. Yeah, I was in middle school. Uh-huh. What was What was seventh grade Troy Davis like? I was drawing a lot. Mm-hmm. That was my passion. I felt like I was going to be an adult, make my own comic books like that. I had storylines and so forth. Mm-hmm. But when I heard the album, it, it gave me something different besides everything I was listening to that was coming out the West Coast at the mm-hmm. time, as far as on mainstream. And that was like the first one that made me listen. Like, oh, okay, because like I knew all the producers on there. Yeah, but I didn't know Les. Right, right. You know, I didn't know Les, but you know, rock premiere. Right, and them not seeing it was executive produced by MC Search. Right, and I'm like, okay. And then I think my cousin had me listen to live at the barbecue after I'd heard Illmatic. And I was like, oh, that's the intro. He's like, no, this is the actual song. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I listened to it, and then I went back to the album. It's like, all right. Then I liked it even more. Because the album itself, it wasn't like the hip-hop album where it's like, focus on me. It was. It felt more like focus on what I've witnessed. Yes. That's interesting. Because, you know, a lot of hip-hop at the time was like, focus on me because I'm so dope. Yeah. But it wasn't a lot like focus on what I'm witnessing in my community. Focus on my experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm taking you on a journey. Like even from the beginning, from how it starts and to the way it ends. And it wasn't like full of features like a lot of projects at the time. And it was just it was just that fresh feeling. Cause like a lot of times before it's like I was listening to maybe 
if it came out of New York, it mostly was like late eighties. So like Rock Kim, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's like it it gave more of a I don't have to be aggressive to be dope. Yes. Um I remember when it came, I'm a little bit older than you. When it came out, um I was shout out to Damon Redman. We went to Best Buy in Flint and we all bought it. And we all bought it because of what we read in the source about it. You know, I knew about Live at the Barbecue. My cousin Quinn had the main source album. And it was like, you know, he was, it was different. You know what I'm saying? When he said, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it was different, but it yeah. was like, okay, I mean, you know, wow. But you know what I'm saying? Right. And we read the source. And what it makes me think about as, you know, after you told me that, what I reflected on is, it shows the impact or the, what the impact was of hip-hop media. Mm-hmm. And now with social media, um, and I think about, like, what are the definitive media sources in hip-hop now? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you consider to be, because the source had a level of credibility, that got obviously tainted by the Benzino situation yeah. and the Made Men stuff. And then, you know, and XXL came along. Right, right. What media sources do you trust at this point to be able to say, I know if I hear this, it's going to be A1? Hmm. Do they exist? They do, but it's like at a certain time, they get comfortable of a style that they like. So a lot of times if you'll go to a blog and they might, for that moment, you might see boom bap, but then that blog will only post boom bap. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hear something from as far as like Southern hip hop, Mm -hmm. you have to find whatever blog site focused on Southern hip hop. So it's not like it's one source now. Mm -hmm. It's just, you have to find the one that has credibility and follows those. Do you listen to a lot of other people's music that's not among you yeah. now? Um, like, do you listen to nas- national artists at all? Uh, if honestly, if it comes up in a conversation, I'll Google it. I'll play it when I get time available to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I'm looking for music like I did in my early twenties, late teens. I think that I read somewhere that old music is selling more than new music now. Yeah. And that's, I think that we've kind of met, like reached a tipping point, especially generationally, that says this may be out, it may be new, it may be dope, but I don't have to, like, I don't have to hear. I remember somebody tape came out, everybody went and got it. Right. Everybody was bumping it that weekend. Everybody was. And talked about it. That and everybody Monday. talked about yeah. it at school. Yeah. Everybody, you know, and it's just not, it's just not the same. And maybe that's, maybe that's an age thing. I don't know. It's it's kind of like that, but it just goes quicker. Like people yes. will stay up Thursday, midnight come. They'll talk about the social media Friday, that weekend. Yep. Possibly the following week. But yep. That's it. Absolutely. So back in 98, uh, the Roots made an album called Things Fall Apart. 
you know, and one of the things that they talked about was how disposable rap music is. Yeah. Like, D'Angelo's Voodoo is not a disposable record to me. Right. That it, Sade, <laughs> you know, Kiss a Life and all that. These are Anita Baker. These are records that have permeated time and still to this day continue to decorate space and decorate time. You know, like what? And even when we talk about Illmatic, I think Illmatic, for people who live through Illmatic, right. it, it's a return for me. I was a junior in high school. It's a return to innocence. It's a return to, you know, having something live up to the height, which in today's world doesn't really happen. Right. So at this point today, as a producer, as a musician, as a label head, how do you create a record that permeates the bullshit, like permeates the the ether in a way, you know? How would you tell an artist, what, like, how would you advise an artist to do that? First thing I'll tell an artist is focus on global and not local. Because mm. even having or trying to reach success in the U.S., it's so much hip-hop coming out of the U.S. But reach the countries where they really don't get hip-hop. Let them, let you be the, their introduction to hip-hop. Think of it that way. And you don't have to worry about as far as being known or recognizing your city. Once you have, like, say, your paperwork and your royalties written correctly, the money going to come no matter who listens, mm -hmm. as long as they listen. If they go from a listener to supporter of yours, they will buy the physicals. They'll try to get to your concerts if they can. And it just create the work. And own your work. That's mm. that's the main thing. I tell people that, you know, there is no hip hop messiah that's coming, you know, because the game is different. Yeah. You know. Nas was that messiah. Yeah. To a degree. And still to this day, I okay. So I personally feel like it was written was a better record than Illmatic was. Okay. Because Nas kind of balanced to me better on it was written what was going on at the time with with what, what Nas was on. Right. In my opinion. Right. Now, Illmatic is, is a seminal record because of what you said. It it made Rakim was Rakim. You know, and the people who came before Nas were were they were who they were. Nas was a another tier of lyricism, right? And the production was the production. The production was cool, obviously, but it was another. It was almost like witnessing evolution, right? And then everybody was rapping like Nas in a way. Yeah, because I I guess for me, like say with Illmatic, it was just the producers with that kind of notoriety to be on it. Uh, artist debut project. Mm -hmm. Normally, you wouldn't get those type of producers unless it's like your third album, fourth album. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I don't even think Nas was like 21 yet. Right. He wasn't. But like when It Was Written came out, it was like the blending of 
going from a third-person storyteller to a first-person storyteller, where you have certain moments where it's like, it's focused on me. This is what I'm going through. And you get that transition, and the transition went so smoothly, and that's why where his experience made a difference with It Was Written compared to his experience with Illmatic. Mm, absolutely. Was Illmatic the greatest album of all time? Is, I should say. Um, and if it's not, what is it to you? What is to you? It, it depends on my mood, honestly. Okay. Cause like I say, I, I will listen. I will register music and listen to John Coltrane. Amen. So it, it depends on the mood. It depends on the Amen. mood. Amen. Timeless. Yeah. Timeless. Okay. Interesting. So we have... I, I can't get you to say nothing. Like, like... <laughs> does she, like does she ever do you ever like engage in these discuss I know I had the first podcast you've been on do you ever participate I did one interview with him okay <laughs> what's up with you you got a book coming out what's your next what's your next project or you oh yeah that's right y'all do year a year at a time still um well she's working on um building up architects literary division now Okay. Then once they get finalized and we might have authors or poets that may want to release books. Okay. Then she'll probably um, have another novel come out and I'll probably do the soundtrack for that too. Okay. Um, after this project, I got a project with Grime One coming out. Okay. One Way. One Way. Shout out to Grime One. Um, then after that, I got... Um, a possible single come out. I just got to make sure everything get in order for the single. That'll probably come out in October. And on November the 13th, I got a project with features coming out called Monumental. Have you picked all your features yet? Yeah, the project's done. <laughs> all right. You got any other plugs? Any Anybody else got any plugs? You got any plugs? Oh, man. Um, shit. Shout out to everybody on Architect Entertainment that really got passionate about their business. Amen. Getting their back royalty straight before y'all even knew who I was. Mm -hmm. um, keeping in touch, definitely, because like I'll get messages 6.30 in the morning asking questions like, Yo, Troy, I seen this about to happen with the stock market. Like, you think this is a good suggestion? And these are people who wasn't even thinking about the stock market. They ain't talking about label stuff. They talking about stocks. Yeah. Yeah, that's we need to connect, bro. <laughs> we need to connect, bro. For real. Shouts out to them. Shouts out to everybody from Architect Entertainment. Shouts out to everybody um, who is working in Detroit um, towards keeping hip hop alive. Um, and of course, obviously, I mean absolutely no slight in what I said. I mean, I I, I look at what's happening in Detroit with reverence, you know, um, because the music has sustained through so much, through loss, through changes, through, you know, sometimes unmet expectations, um, through disappointment. It's people that's still doing it. And it's people who we've watched over the time that both you and I have been kind of involved in making beats or producing. Um, we've seen people advance. Yeah. You know, shouts out to, you know, uh, Street Gang. Shouts out to, I always give them a lot of credit. Oh, yeah. 
Um, shouts out to you know. Uh, I remember when I that first uh, that first I want to say that that first beat battle we was at. I think Black Gold performed that day. Yep. And he's doing great things. And, and shouts out to everybody that's making beats and just still continuing to support the music. And people that's gatekeepers. To, I hate to say gatekeepers because technically you a gatekeeper in a way. Um, I know you don't like that term either. Nah, but nah. to me, I like for I, me, like gatekeepers choose who goes in, who right. don't. I call it being a way maker. You make a way for people. Yeah. The Davis, the Davis way. way. <laughs> See? See how that works? So. Um, we want to thank our sponsors one more time. Thanks for rocking with us. You, it's a band that's rocking with us too. Um, hopefully, you know I can cut all that out when we do the edit. But um, until next time, this is Rob Wallace. Support the artists and the artisans around you. Oh, before I leave, please make sure you support the Amplify Fellowship too. Amplify-fellowship.com. We got some projects coming out this summer. I was supposed to talk about, talk about that at the beginning. Um, Kai Five as well as Lori and Janine those projects will be coming out this summer make sure you check those out make sure you follow everybody social media you can follow me at Where Is Wallace you can follow The Davis Way yep follow me on Facebook at The Davis Way on Instagram the underscore Davis underscore way you can follow Tony at oh, she just the underscore Dave. she y'all all want y'all want one entity right nah what's your what's your social you got social? Yeah. Trey, you know what it is. What's Tony social, man? Come on, man. You can follow her on Instagram at Mrs. Um, Tony Davis. There you go. Mrs. Tony Davis. As well as DJ Wise one at Facebook. Uh, DJ Wise one. DJ Wise one. underscore one. The number one? DJ Wise underscore one. The number one. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, support the artists and the music artisans around you because if the music stops, everything else does. Y'all be cool. Peace.